musicians. What a beautiful song. We'll be singing that song at the wedding uh, of Rico and Vanessa, and uh, we're very excited. There's nothing like Chicago in January. Uh, um, well, good morning. As you've heard a couple of times, my name is Samuel Echevarria. I'm a deacon here. Um, and as is the case, once in a while, I have the joy and the blessing to be up here looking at your beautiful faces um, and preaching God's word um, as he's laid it on my heart. And so I want to thank you all for being here this morning. Um, and I uh, would like to talk about Christmas today. Uh, Christmas. Um, if you're anything like me, Christmas season is a time of reflection. It, it tends to come alongside the end of the year, right? There's, a, there's not a coincidence there, I guess. Um, and, and as I get older, I'm already 40, so I, I'm wise now. I, 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 feel, I feel the glow of wisdom all around me. Uh, but I'm starting to find myself meditating more and more on the Christmas season. Um, and maybe that's because the Christmas season is also changing as I change. Uh, I find myself wondering, is it getting longer? Is the Christmas season coming upon us sooner than it used to be? Or is it just my memory? That also could be the problem. Um, do I see ourselves spending much more time preparing and executing Christmas than we ever have before? But then again, maybe that's because I'm in a different season in my life where I'm part of that preparation. And by me and season and part of that preparation, I mean I watch Diane do all the work. Uh, <laughs> But I see her work so diligently and so hard during the Christmas season in joy, and I get exhausted. I wonder, hmm, the, the thoughts and feelings that come as Christmas comes, and Christmas is, and then Christmas passes. I find myself thinking more and more about what did I just experience? What, what just happened? Why did we do all the things that we did? Did we do some of them well? Did we do any of them poorly? So um, I hope today that I can share with you some thoughts and some ideas, and more importantly, God's Word, and how I hope it frames uh, some of my musings on the Christmas season. Uh, so let's jump into God's Word, where one would naturally jump into God's Word for the Christmas season, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, turn to the letter with me of 1 Corinthians. Um, for those of you using the Red Pew Bible, like one I have here, uh, it is on page 989, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And my, my goal today is to use some principles found in this letter to talk about the foolishness of Christmas. And by foolishness, I'm going to put quotes around it. I don't want to offend anybody. And reference that with something called the wisdom of the cross. The foolishness of Christmas and the wisdom of the cross. If you'll turn to me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we'll read verses 10 through 31. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says... I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak, weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it shows us who we are and who you are. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would see clearly who we truly are and who you are and how we would see that through the Christmas season. We would see that through the foolishness and the wisdom all around us. And most importantly, Lord, that we would see everything through the cross of Christ, your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is under attack. I don't get an amen for that. Okay. Possibly. What I find myself noticing during the Christmas season is that there are interesting debates that come up, right? If you watch enough TV, you start hearing these debates, uh, today's society. And we argue about Christmas a lot, maybe a lot more than we used to. That's another thing I've noticed. We argue a lot about Christmas and things around Christmas, you know. Is Santa Claus white or not? Right? I'm not going to give it away, children. Okay? I don't, I don't. But um, what do we do with public displays of the nativity in front of the courthouse, in front of the school, school plays that invariably have to sing songs like Oh Holy Night? And should they take out the words of Christ, the name of Christ? The debate about Xmas. Do you put an X, take out Chris, Christ, and put an X in there? 
uh, you know, interesting debates that come around all over the place. And one of the reasons for those debates today is because we live in a very diverse world. We live in a very diverse country. We are multi-ethnic, multilingual, a multi-faith community. We're so diverse, and we have a diverse set of backgrounds and convictions. And when that happens, you have these debates that come up. So I think it's when Christmas comes around, we have some of those interesting debates in, in my mind. And this takes me to Corinth. Corinth was a city where people lived, and the people that we, were, we just read a letter from Paul to the people in Corinth. And Corinth was a very vibrant city. It was a very diverse city. It was a city at a crossroads of many cultures and faiths and ethnicities and beliefs and convictions. And the Lord pulled people from the city of Corinth into his church, like we just read this morning for our catechism. He called and elected people to form his church, of commu his community. And they were from very different backgrounds. And the letter of 1 Corinthians is a letter dealing with conflict. It's a letter dealing with conflict. How do I know that? Let me read to you verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of, from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So the Corinthian church was in conflict. The Corinthian church had a fight going on within it. And this fight had to do with identity. It had to do with who you are. Because as we read the next verse, verse 12, what I mean is this, Paul says, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. So in the Corinthian church, we'd had, we, had, we were having little Sunday school identity wars, right? In a sense that there were classes of people in this church that had an identity with a certain person. Paul, Apollos, Peter, the disciple, Apollos, an evangelist, Christ. And what... When I read that, and I was thinking about Christmas all at the same time, I said, you know what, there's an, there's an identity problem. There's a conflict that we have when it comes to Christmas. I feel that more and more the church will start to have a conflict when it comes to Christmas because we're going to have to start asking many more questions about how to act and how to respond to a Christmas that is exceedingly not religious in nature. Christmas is becoming less and less of a religious holiday. And not only that, I think there's a bigger conflict. Christmas is becoming part of our society, an extremely important part of our entire year. How do I know that? How do I say that? Well, some statistics. First of all, let me just say Black Friday. Okay? You heard of Black Friday? Okay. And if you dare turn on the TV and see some of the reactions around Black Friday, um, there's something going on in the Christmas season that seems to trigger a whole set of behaviors that we seem to save up just for Christmas, right? Knocking people over for the best toy, you know, standing in line, long lines on, 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 on Thanksgiving, you know, the day after Thanksgiving or on Thanksgiving itself, right? So 
Black Friday to me, and Cyber Monday that comes later on, of course. Um, but as I looked into more about Christmas, I noticed Christmas is a huge part of an American identity now. We hire almost a million people, or there are a million extra jobs during the Christmas season to do. Almost a million. 30 to 40% of the average retailer makes their profit during the Christmas season. 30 to 40% of the profit made for the average retailer is during the Christmas season. That's a lot. That's only a month, basically, from Thanksgiving until this week. Okay. Um, 20% of households spend, I should say, households spend on average 20% of what they're going to spend during the year during Christmas. So if you look at your household expenses, about a fifth of what you spend all year, you spend between Thanksgiving and December, the end of December. Or if some of you are go-getters, you, you, you go a little early. You hit the October sales and the November sales, right? So Christmas is a huge economic and societal deal. I, I hope I can't not stress that enough right now because it shocked me that a baby born 2,000 years ago, he's shaping in ways that I would never have imagined our whole society, our whole economy, right? Capitalism doing its thing. Kmart had some great ads this Christmas season. And one that struck me, um, it said this, get in, period. Get more Christmas. Get in, get into Kmart, Get more Christmas, okay? Now, I'm going to tell everybody a secret. This is only for the children here, so adults don't listen. Okay, you ready? Our children, are you ready? Can you hear me? Christmas is not inside of Kmart. Okay. Okay, save that secret for later. We're going to talk about it, okay? And then the legal challenges, and then the legal debates about how to express Christmas, and then this. Only about half of people in America today surveyed think that Christmas is a religious holiday. Only about half of Americans today surveyed, 2013, think Christmas is a religious holiday. The other half think it's mostly a cultural holiday or some small proportion of people don't celebrate Christmas at all. Right? So Christmas is a huge process and product and I also think there's conflict there. And we as Christians who celebrate Christmas, Christmas, we have an identity decision to make. How are we going to respond to a Christmas that is becoming less and less about Christ and more and more about something else? And no, this isn't a Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, uh, it's starting to sound like that, I know. But... Um, there is a simple, simple, simple solution to this. There's a simple solution to how we as individual believers and how the church can respond to whatever is happening to Christmas. And I assume whatever is happening to Christmas now will continue to happen. It will continue to grow. We'll start having Christmas ads in July, right? We'll start, we'll start worrying about or we'll start planning for the Christmas season earlier and earlier. Or will we? That's the debate. And that's the conflict that we have right now, I think. If you didn't know you had that conflict, well, you were so, it's so good for you to be here and realize that there was conflict, okay? You thought everything was just fine. 
You were having a great Christmas season. Well, I did too. And I want to have a great Christmas season. But I think we, the church, have to start meditating on the foolishness of what's around us and start focusing on where is the wisdom of this season. And here is the solution. Preach the gospel. Let me say what Paul says to the solution of quarrels and identity problem. He says in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul's response and Paul's reminder to the Corinthian church was, look, you're having a debate about who follows whom. I didn't come to set up camps. I came to preach the gospel. And by logic, you should also preach the gospel. And it would be ironic if it weren't so sad that the greatest gift that we can give anyone during the Christmas season is the gift of the gospel. And it seems to be the one that we find less and less around us. It seems to be the one that gets swept to the side as we worry about other types of gifts. And it's definitely the one that society is going to focus on less and less. And if society forgets that Christmas is a religious holiday, who is left to remind society what Christmas stands for? It is us. And this gift that you can give called the gospel, it's an amazing gift. First of all, it's free. It doesn't require Kmart. It doesn't require a Black Friday sale. It is a free gift. It is not material either. You don't have to wrap it. It's spiritual. And unlike so many of the toys that my kids got that will be broken in about 10 seconds after Christmas, this gift is eternal. It will not perish. It's not going to fade. The batteries aren't going to run out. The parts aren't going to die. But it is a gift that will grow brighter and brighter and shine greater and greater in the glory of God. And as I was thinking about this gift that I want to give during Christmas, and yet even I seem to get sidetracked, I remembered a verse. You may have heard it, John 3.16. And when I remembered this verse, something different was emphasized for me as I was praying through this gift. For God loved the world in this way that he gave. For God loved the world this way that he gave his one and only son. He gave a gift, much like the gifts that we have just shared and given and received. That verse doesn't say God ordained. That verse doesn't say that God shown. That verse doesn't say that God selected or elected or, or displayed. That verse says that God gave. It is a reminder that it is a gift, freely given in love so that we might have life. And if you were to give the gift of the gospel, what would it look like? 
Let me tell you, as somebody who received this gift as an adult, when I opened the ribbon, it was tough to get off. It was a big box. But what somebody would see and what I saw was this. As they opened that box, the gift of the gospel, they saw God the creator. They saw a God who created heaven and earth and all of the universe. And in his glory and in his joy and love, he creates man. But man, in their wisdom, rebels. And because God is holy and cannot allow the rebellion and the sin of Adam and Eve to, make, to be in his presence, he exiles them. He expurgates them to wander the earth as they await judgment. But at that moment also, God sets in motion a plan that will end in a gift. He sets in motion a plan First, to create a people that will shine his glory, to create a people that will teach others about him. We call those people the Jews. And he hands down the law with which to help them understand their sin and his holiness. And he says, follow me and obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And I am merciful and loving and kind. And yet these people disobey. But through the Jews, God continually sends the hope of the prophecy of a new one who would come, a gift that would come and set everything straight forever. And 2,000 years ago, that prophecy came true in the birth of a man. But he was not just a man. He was God, God's own son. Emptied himself into the flesh, became a baby, did not stay a baby, did not have a miraculous baby-only life. But this gift, this man grew, followed his father, the Lord God, perfectly, preached about the glory of God and the kingdom that is coming. And most importantly, Jesus, the greatest gift that you can ever give or receive, died on the cross as a substitute, finally, to pay the penalty for our sin, a sin that begins with Adam and Eve and that will continue until the final day. And now, because of the cross, because of the wisdom of the cross, those who believe and confess and repent that Jesus is Lord and Savior, now God sees them as righteous and true and clean. And this gift transforms you and me. This gift changes our lives. And after that wonderful moment where you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. You are saved into the glory of God through his church. And now you are in the place with which to wrap this gift and give it again. You are in the place where others will teach you what this gift means as you grow in the gospel. You are in the place where you can now proclaim this gift with brothers and sisters together as a family. But we do have to be careful because if you're like me, you get a great gift 
what do you want to do when you wrap it? You want to wrap it gloriously. You want to wrap it with 17 layers of paper and ribbons all over the place. Maybe you're not like me, okay? Um, but you want the wrapping to match the gift. Be very careful. Listen to what Paul says. Because we have to be careful not to risk mixing the message with the package that we put it in. We have to be very careful. Paul says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased to the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The problem in Corinth among these very educated men, even though they weren't so educated, was that they were telling Paul more than likely this gospel, this simple gospel that even a child can understand, that can't be it. It's got to be more complex than that. The Greeks have wisdom. The Jews have wisdom. They have levels of wisdom. They have structures of wisdom, right? They have wisdom within wisdom. And they have lots of books, heavy books, parchments that you read and read, and that's how you get to know God. And Paul's reminding them, The wisdom of man, where is it? What did it do? Who did it save? No, the gospel is that simple. It is a simple gift that should be wrapped simply. It should be wrapped in the simple tenderness of loving another person. It should be wrapped in the simple attempt to give somebody time. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need training upon training. You just need to say what's in your heart about this simple gift, this gospel. So let's be careful. Now, what is the world going to say about this gospel? The world today will say exactly what the the Greek and Jewish world 2,000 years ago said. It's foolishness. How can this save, how can this baby born 2,000 years ago ever save anyone? That's okay. We're prepared for that. The church has got 2,000 years of experience on how to deal with that. What do we do? We continually preach the gospel. We show it with love. We show it with our lives, but we use our mouths. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You ever worry when you wrap that gift whether they're really going to like it? I mean, really, because you picked the perfect gift? I hate it when people don't appreciate the gift that I've given them. Don't you? They don't appreciate how awesome, how I've matched their personality, how I've matched everything about them in this gift, and they really should praise me forever and ever and ever, right? I want to hear you talk about that gift 17 years later, and I want tears to come out of your eye. Oh, be very careful, because this gift, we do not want it to come from us. We don't want it to come back to us. We don't want anything to do with glorifying ourselves with this gift. 
And it's going to be hard. It's a simple message that can change a person and change the world. And yet most many will reject it. But unlike the problem that I have where I need to go to the store and I'm, I'm looking for Diane's gift and, oh, I've got to nail this one. I've got to get it right. I'm in a lot of trouble, people. If I get this gift right, everything is okay. This gift, we don't have to think like that at all. God has matched. God knows what he is doing. God uses the gospel and brings those whom he will call, and they will respond. But you are the gift giver. You are the gift bearer. Preach the gospel. There's the solution. I want to give us some applications before our time is up here. I want us to talk a little bit about what does it mean to give the gift of the gospel? Well, I've, I've sketched out some things here. First of all, if you're like me, many of you have the most free time you're going to have during the Christmas season, right? I mean, some of you work for the state. Some of you work for companies that they close shop for that whole week, right? Or you, you get two weeks vacation or whatever the case may be. This is a great opportunity. It's a great blessing. Or you can waste a lot of time. So with Christmas comes a lot of time with which to meditate and reflect. I had the flu, so I was sick for about six days. That's where my meditation came from. I literally had nothing to do but sit there and cry. Uh, but first of all, let us give the gift of the gospel for those of us who believe to ourselves. Let Christmas be a time when we have those extra days, those extra weeks, that time with family, that time that we have for ourselves. I want you to think about, as Christmas is approaching and as you're in it, are you giving the gift of the gospel to yourself? Well, what would that look like, Sam? Hmm. Well, thankfully, Paul gives us a little picture of what it is to reflect on us and the gospel. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Have you sat down to this Christmas season and reflected on your salvation? That time before you came to Christ and that time that you did come to Christ and the growth since then? Paul goes on to say, look, let me tell you a little bit about you guys before you became saved. Not many of you were wise by human standards, a.k.a. you were all dumb. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But don't worry, Paul says. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. When you go back and start meditating on the gospel in your life, do you see weakness? Do you see shame? I hope you do. That's good. That means you're in line with what God is doing. He's, he's picking people that are weak and broken and have shame and have temptations and suffer with sins. And he's using them to do what? To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The time of Christmas should be a time where you focus on the gift that was given to you, the gospel. 
And with that focus should come joy and praise and adoration. Should also come repentance. Right? We want to, maybe you thought I was going to preach about, you know, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do you one better. I want you to look back at 2013. Don't start looking at 2014 until you've taken a good hard look about 2013. What have you done? How did you grow? Where were you spiritually? What did you plan for yourself and what really happened? What ministries did the Lord call you that you chose to step up and what are those that you didn't? So give the gift of the gospel to yourself. Number two, give the gift of the gospel to your family. I know we love buying gifts for, my, for your family. I'm not going to say I don't love buying gifts for my kids because I don't buy them anything. I let other people do that, right? And I take some of their gifts too if they're good enough. Um, but what a wonderful time to talk about gift giving and gift receiving if during the Christmas season you set a tradition in your home where husband and wife, you, you had a long sit down and said, I'm sorry, I, I've done some bad things over this year, over this Christmas season, whatever this, the, the issue might be. Take time during this Christmas season to refocus on your family, not on the gifts that you give, but on the gospel and how it's changing your family. Practice reconciliation and forgiveness because those are the fruits of the gospel. Communication, confession, repentance. Have some deep conversations with your spouse, your, your significant other, your children, your other family members, friends. Say, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a gift. I'm, I'm going to tell you how I wronged you this year. Right? Or I'm going to tell you where I've really struggled to have, be a good friend, to be a good brother or sister. As a family, give the gift of devotions during the Christmas season. If this is true, that this is one of the few times where you have more time with your family than you do the rest of the year, and if you're like me, the rest of the year is pretty crazy, right? We all work too much. We have a horrible, I'm, just, I'm talking about myself here, but I'm going to include you all. We have a horrible ability to balance work and life and ministry and all those sorts of things, and we're constantly struggling. But yet Christmas, I do find myself with just a little bit more time I wake up, and I don't have to be at work. That's a huge difference in my life. And then I sit there and go, what do I do? Okay. So I'm going to give the gift of the gospel. I'm going I'm I'm to gather around my children and my wife. We're going to just talk about God. What has, he been, what has he done? What is he doing? What was awesome in 2013 that you remember about what God did? Right? Now, I'm going to give you a little hint here. You don't have to just stop doing these at the Christmas season. But take this opportunity. Let them be a part of your Christmas celebration. As a church, as members of God's church, we've got to start thinking about our gospel relationships. What did we do this year? Whom did we reach out to? Where were opportunities missed? Or where were opportunities going to come from? I really feel strongly that as we have time to meditate, getting focused, getting a piece of paper and a pen and writing down, okay, where are the gospel opportunities for me to preach, to practice, to discuss, to pray for all the people around me that I touched in 2013 and all the people around me that I will touch in 2014. And as a church, we want to equip all believers to be preaching the gospel in a, very, in a variety of different ways. But for me, two things come up as a church 
where I think that the Christmas season should naturally lead itself to a real focus and a real emphasis. One, evangelism. Right? Let's do Christmas carols and slip in the gospel. Right? But in a bigger sense, as we pray and as we think, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is during Christmas. Lottie Moon is about missions and preaching the gospel all over the world. Well, I think that's correct. I think that's the right emphasis. Christmas should be a time where we start to re-energize as a church for what are we, how are we, where are we going to get the gospel to the people of the world. Okay, it, giving to Lottie Moon is one way, but it's not the only way. Praying for our missionaries that we know, yes, that's another way. But having discussions, praying together, and talking about missionaries and missionary ministries. And the other one, I think, is mercy ministries. For us to combat, if we're going to combat, I use that term loosely, we're not, it's not a fight here, but the reaction to whatever is going to happen for Christmas in the future is for us to preach the gospel and to take care of those at the bottom where Christmas misses, right? The sick, the poor, the elderly. It is what Christ did, and I think it's where the church can most visibly counteract whatever is happening at Christmas, whatever commercial aspects of Christmas has become, whatever a cultural holiday it is, we don't care. We have a job to do, to celebrate the gospel and the birth of Christ that leads to the wisdom of the cross and the death and resurrection of Christ. Let us get our hands and feet out in the world to those who have nothing during the season. We know for a fact that the Christmas season is difficult for a variety of people emotionally, physically, and so forth. And if it is true that we have more time to spare and a little bit more time to focus on, let's make that a priority. It's what the church has done best for 2,000 years. Not the government, not nonprofits. But when the church is healthy and the gospel is being preached, there's a natural outflow to take care of those at the bottom of society, which is also what Paul's reminding them. You were at the bottom of society, and here you are in God's kingdom, in God's church. In conclusion, Christmas is under attack. And as I was doing some research on Christmas, very interesting, by the way, you should, should research Christmas. You'd be surprised. Um, I found one of the greatest modern attacks on Christmas. It was horrible. It came from Christians, specifically Puritans. Um, the Puritans had a very interesting view of Christmas. They hated it. In 1620, the Mayflower Puritans who came over, you know, Plymouth Rock and all that stuff, how did they celebrate that first Christmas that they were here? They worked. They didn't do a single thing to celebrate Christmas. And at the height of Puritan England, the Puritan Parliament in England, 1647, they passed a law that shut down Christmas. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas in all of England. Talk about government intervention. They forced the shops to stay open. They forced the churches to stay closed. And they arrested any minister who dared preach on Christmas Day. Horrible attacks on Christmas. Those Puritans, who are they? And in New England, as the Puritan influence in New England was strong, 
For 200 years, people in New England did not really celebrate Christmas the way other people had started to in the rest of this country. It wasn't until the late 1870s and almost into the 19th cent- uh, 20th century that Christmas starts to pick up this idea of, of a celebration that looks like what we do today. So the history of Christmas is not a straight line as you think. It's got twists and turns, just like it has today. What do we do with the foolishness of Christmas? Well, we preach the gospel. We preach the wisdom of Christ and let God do the rest. And if you'll indulge me, these, these Puritans are interesting. Um, why did they hate Christmas so much? They noticed a trend that as people celebrated Christmas, they started to celebrate things that were not godly. Okay? Christmas Day itself was a public holiday, with shops, offices, and other places of work all closed, and people went to church to attend special services. Over the following 11 days, there were further special church services with shops and businesses open only intermittently and for shorter hours than normal. This is 1647. The celebration of all 12 days of Christmas contained other familiar elements, though the degree to which individuals and families participated probably varied. Okay, People visited families and friends and colleagues. They ate and drank and exchanged presents. Special food and drink was available, like tamales and was consumed in large quantities than normal, including turkey and beef, mince pies, plum porridge, and specially brewed Christmas ale. Mm. Taverns and tap houses did a roaring trade. Occasionally there were fireworks. More generally, it was a period of leisure, of eating and drinking to excess, of dancing and singing, gambling, gaming, and stage plays, of drunkenness, immorality, a period when normal rules and self-control did not apply, a period of deliberate inversion and misrule. Increasingly, in the late 16th and early 17th centuries, many people, especially the more godly, came to frown upon the celebration of Christmas. They disliked all the waste, extravagance, disorder, sin, and immorality of the Christmas celebrations. What this group wanted was a much stricter observance of the Lord's Day, Sunday, but also the, abol- the abolition and often sinful celebration of Christmas. That was 1647-ish. Did that ring a bell? The hustle and bustle of Christmas, the Christmas parties, the tree, the mall, Kmart, where Christmas is also located, Right? I think the Puritans were responding to, they also had theological problems. They said, nowhere in the Bible this Christmas, we have to celebrate Christmas the way we've developed it. But they were really worried that Christmas was taking a life of its own. And the weaker Christians were falling in to a set of behaviors and attitudes that were not godly and that were not helpful. So how do we, if we feel that way about ourselves, if we don't, that's okay. But as this country becomes less and less concerned with godliness during Christmas, let us respond by preaching the gospel. Let us respond by letting them see it in our lives, in our families, in our mercy ministries, in our evangelism, the way we spend our time, even what we spend our money on. And let's see if we can make Christmas wise again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are in our presence, Lord, and you are in our midst.
I just want to praise you for this Christmas season that, Lord, many of us have a time to reflect on the glory of the gospel that is found in, in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we participate in so many ways to try to bring that gospel message. I thank you for living nativity where we can come and for those who are, who are present, we can offer them the true gospel, the true meaning of Christmas. But Lord, now I ask that you would help us all to meditate and focus on our own lives and our own growth and the gospel in our hearts, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our society. Lord, give us wisdom not to overdo, overwork, overwrap the simple and powerful message of the gospel and give us the boldness and the courage as Christmas comes and tries to take the gospel away, give us the boldness and the courage to stand up during this time and make a special effort, a special emphasis to preach the gospel to all those around us, starting with ourselves and working out, Lord. For your glory we do this, and for the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand up and sing this with us. on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean 